0: In today's episode, I want to talk to you about how to make the most out of your January. I want to get into some research on tapering and why you should be doing it. And then finally, I have an amazing interview with the great VJ Jones.
1: Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee free. Here's your host, SGX coach Mike Diebler.
0: All right, well, welcome to the OCR Underground Show and Happy New Year. This is episode sixty-seven. If you want to check out the show notes for this episode, head on over to ocrunderground.com/slash/episode-sixty-seven. I want to jump right into this episode and help you get started with twenty twenty, right? Um, but first, I do want to let you know about the sponsors that are making this show possible. The OCR Underground Show is brought to you by Venga CBD, which is CBD specifically engineered for the endurance athlete. CBD has been shown to help with a variety of things that will definitely help with your training and performance, recovery, and pain management, sleep, all sorts of great stuff. Uh, Venga CBD has zero THC and it's water soluble, so you get five times more CBD in your bloodstream than with most other. Hemp oils. They've been a supporter of our show, something that I personally use on a regular basis, and you can save by using code OCR underground at checkout and get 15% off your order. I also wanted to let you know about the Handmaster Plus Grip Trainer. Uh, most of the grip training exercises you know focus on closing the hand and squeezing, which is important, but just like all parts of the body we want to train and balance and a lot of times when we train too much with that closing squeezing and crushing grip that we develop issues like elbow tendonitis and even shoulder issues so uh, grip strength is obviously absolutely important for your OCR training so make sure you're doing it right and try something out like the handmaster plus which not only trains the muscles that close the hand but opens them as well Uh, check out more on the handmaster plus at handmasterplus.com Alright, well let's start off the show with the Inside Mike's Mind segment, and it's been a little while since I got a podcast out, so there are all sorts of stuff floating around up there, and I'm going to do the best I can to keep it concise and on track, Um, but it's January, and every January I do feel obligated that we have to talk about goal setting and you know setting the year up right, and I know you get a ton of these and we've talked about in the past, but I just want to keep that trend going because... Sure, there's nothing magical about January, and we know most people will not hit their New Year's resolutions, but I still think it is. there's something about it. There's a feeling we get that we get a fresh start, even if it's a perception and it's really in our head. I want to use that because we probably have some momentum now, so we might as well take the most of it. Uh, I recently shared a post on Facebook about uh, a quote I uh, uh, heard in a book that I'm reading right now, "Perennial Seller" by Ryan Holiday, who he's written uh, quite a few books, like "The Obstacle Is the Way," is probably one of the more well-known ones, and um, uh, and a few other ones. But and it was uh, a quote he quoted uh, about uh, the idea of being the verb, not the noun. And I just this really hit home for me. And it's easy for us to say. I want to be something, I, uh, you know, I, in my post I said I'm, I'm not a Spartan because people just say they're a Spartan. It's like, well, what does that mean? Um, and it's this idea of I'm instead going to be the actions uh, uh, that are required in order to be that person or that thing, right? It's like looking at, hey, everybody wants to be or probably growing up the, a professional athlete or something along those lines or an actor or whatever it might be. And the idea of that sounds cool, but what about all of the work and dedication and sacrifice that it's going to take in order to get to that end result? That's when people are kind of turned off and like, well, maybe I don't really want to do that. So instead of thinking about that, uh, that thing that you want to become, think you are a series of actions that will lead to that end result. So hopefully that makes sense, but that's how I want you to start thinking for this year. Like, what are the actions that you need to take to ultimately hit whatever goal that you might be trying to reach? And uh, to, bo- to butcher a few more quotes, um, you've probably heard of both of these, but um, I think it's Einstein um, or some other very smart person. And I'm, I'm probably going to say these wrong, but you'll get the idea and their whole idea of insanity, right? Insanity is, you know, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And that's probably what most people do every year, right? We, we want something, we want to hit some goal, yet we don't really do anything different. We just keep doing the same things we're doing. Maybe we just try them a little bit harder and it really just, it's the same stuff over and over again. And we're just going to keep going in in cycles and not really making any major breakthroughs. And that's really what we want to focus on. Um, or the idea of, you know, the same level of thinking that got you into a problem won't get you out. And it's that same concept of what are you going to do differently? What are you going to change in order to be different? And that's that's really what I wanted to talk about, where hopefully helping you make some changes, right? So this year, if we really want it to be different, you have to be different. You can't be the same person that you ended 2019 with. You, you have to evolve. And that's what we are going to focus on and i'm specifically going to be talking about your training goals but uh hopefully you take this on other parts of your life and um you know whether it be relationship financial you know all the big goals that people have and just think how are you really going to change in order to get there um i wrote or i contributed to an article that was um uh, published on spartan and i'll put a link in the show notes so you can see it was myself and joe Desena putting some things that you kind of, you sh- you know, you should be doing in 2020. And um, I'll, I'll let you read the whole article. Um, but a couple of things that I put were, number one, you know, tear somebody else off the couch. And, you know, that's kind of the whole mission behind Spartan. And it's probably, you know, whether it's Spartan Race or another obstacle course race or just this idea in general of doing these races, Uh, has probably impacted your life in some positive way. So it's always cool to get other people to help you. And the cool thing is when you have another person on board, you now have built-in support, whether it's you supporting them or them supporting you. Uh, But that is that social support is going to be a huge impact uh, for yourself. So you're helping somebody else, but actually it's a little selfish too because they're probably going to help you even if they're just getting started because you're going to support each other. Uh, Another thing I put on there is challenge yourself this year. This is really how you get better. Uh, You have to do something that's going to make you uncomfortable. That's kind of the whole idea behind these races. So, you know, maybe running elite if you've been doing age group or maybe doing age group if you've been doing open it, open heats uh, or whatever it might be. So find a way to get out of your comfort zone to push you a little bit. That's really what's going to make you better. Uh, And then the other things that I contributed to this were kind of about assessing yourself. You know, where are you where are you at right now? If you really know where you are now, you can really understand what you need to do to get better. Most people are just going to focus on the things they like to do. If you like strength training, that's probably going to be the bulk of your training. If you like running, that's probably going to be the bulk of your running. Now, I think both are important, but certain people need to focus on certain things. So there's a few areas that I think you should really be looking at. For example, uh, your movement. If you don't move well, how are you ever going to get stronger? How are you ever going to get faster? You won't. You're just going to compensate and lead to an injury or some other issue or really just going to be stuck and plateaued. So I've mentioned it before, but I'm a big fan of the functional movement screen. Go to functionalmovement.com, type in your area, and you can find somebody to screen you in that area to really look at what's your baseline? How well do you move? is that our biggest priority, right? Because if you don't move well, I don't really even want to worry about strength yet. I don't want to worry about running because if you move poor, your running's gonna be poor and all these other things are just gonna build off of it. Not that you need to be perfect, right? Nobody's gonna move perfectly. We just want to at least hit some minimum standards. As long as you can do that, we feel relatively safe that you are going to be uh, okay and get the, the adaptations that we're looking for in your training program. Like something as simple as like, can you touch your toes? If you cannot touch your toes, that's that's kind of a big deal. And it's something that you should should be working on. It's not just as simple as you need to stretch your hamstrings. There's a lot that would go into that type of movement pattern. Um, and I'll actually, again, in the show notes, I'll put a link of a drill that you can try to get you to touch your toes. And it's kind of like a magic trick. Um, there's other things that go into it, but this might be a good start for you to at least get that movement pattern uh, back, so you can do things like deadlifts and kettlebell swings. Because if you can't touch your toes and you're doing those things, uh, I guarantee you're compensating and you have some issues that are probably, if you don't already have like back issues and other issues, they're probably just around the corner. So definitely be careful with that and, and check that movement first. Um, your nutrition is another thing. Now, this is a huge topic and I'm not going to go into too much detail, but are you just doing the same thing over and over again? Or are you really focusing on foods that are fueling your body right? So making sure that you are, you're getting a variety of fruits and vegetables and you're eating the colors of the rainbow, you're looking at your macronutrients and you understand, you know are you doing better with carbs, fats, proteins? What Are they all in balance? Um, are you maybe a little bit more advanced and you're gonna alter those based on uh, the type of training that you're doing. So uh, the idea though is, are, are you at least just tracking your food? Are you doing a food log? Have you ever done a food log? Could you say on average, you know roughly how many calories you eat, um, your, your breakdown of fats, carbs, protein, nutrients that you're getting, you know, every day is going to be different, but the trend should be pretty similar week to week. So you have an idea of what you're going to be getting in. Uh, another thing is going to be important. I mentioned strength, strength and power. So there's, uh, some things that you, uh, should be able to do here. Now, how strong is too strong, right? And there's, uh, different areas you can look at uh, I'll put a link to a really good article that strength coach Dan John wrote and kind of his standards and um, I have my own that I work with my clients but I think his is pretty straightforward and and easy to uh to look at but like um for example like deadlift you know being able to deadlift 150 uh, percent of your weight so 1, 1.5 times your weight or squatting your body weight or being able to carry 75 percent of your weight for 250 feet a um, couple other things that I just think are good being able to do for females, one to three pull-ups, strict pull-ups, um, men being able to do 10, five to 10 uh, push-ups, women being able to do at least 10, men 20. Like these are basic things. If you if you check those off, that's great. Do you need to be much stronger? Do you need to do 30, 40, 50 push-ups in a row? You know, now we're just kind of seeing, well, what specifically do you need? Um, but there gets to a point where now we're just trying to maintain and let's focus on some other areas. Uh, And then one final thing is just your aerobic health. Um, Like, have you ever done a VO2 max testing? And just, again, gotten that baseline. I think, yes, it costs some money, and it's a little bit of work to get it done, but uh, it it is a great way to give a good overall idea of what your aerobic capacity and your aerobic health is. Uh, So doing a VO2 max testing would be a great thing to do. Uh, If you don't want to go that route, you can do some simple things, like your resting heart rate. I've always been a big proponent of just testing something like your your heart rate or even your HRV if you're a little bit more advanced, but a simple heart rate test is a great way to look at how efficient uh, your heart is. So if you... Wake up every morning and take your heart rate, and it's important you need—you can't go off of one number. We need a trend, so you need to do this for about a week, and then you have your baseline, and then you can go from there. Um, you should have a resting heart rate under 60 beats per minute. If you don't, that's a sign that your aerobic health is probably not where it should be, and this is where you should be working on your priority. Um or where your priority should be. So really simple. You just check your heart rate every morning. Is it under 60? Hopefully the trending uh, is the going that way. And then you at least have a baseline. So now you can use that to help you determine maybe when you're extra stressed, if you see it increasing um more than it should are you getting sick whatever it might be so it tells you a lot of really good information not just about your aerobic health but super simple thing you can do there uh the other thing is your recovery heart rate so what you do is you can do something like uh, some type of uh, aerobic bout of exercise so around seven minutes or so could be like um you know, a mile or an assault bike sprint or, or bur- burst or whatever it might be, but something to get your heart rate up kind of as hard as you can go, but for a few minutes. So it's not like a an interval where you're sprinting for 30 seconds. We need to look more at your aerobic capacity. So we need something going for about 5 to 10 minutes. Uh, and then you stop and you see how high your heart rate was at the start or, or when you stopped running or biking, whatever it might have been. And then you're going to time for a minute and you should see at least a 30 beat per minute recovery in that first minute and about 50 beats per minute in that second one so um, that's another simple way again just looking at your your aerobic conditioning your fitness level in it. and and those are kind of minimum numbers it probably should be higher than that, but that's at least a good starting point to get a baseline. Uh, So if you know you're not hitting those numbers, you have some serious things that you need to work on. If you're close, I probably still would work on those. But uh, those are simple ways that we can look at your aerobic fitness. So I know I I went kind of fast through these, but I hope this gives you some ideas or at least gets you thinking about your program for this year a little bit different, because I want you to maximize uh, not just January, but for the rest of the year. So Uh, doing what you've always done is going to get you exactly where you are right now and you just have to keep that in mind and just by trying to push harder doesn't necessarily get you better unless you're pushing harder in the right places and i think if you don't look at these different components you're going to have a really hard time knowing where to spend the bulk of your your effort so if you are not a runner, we could probably guess it's it's going to be in that aerobic area. Uh, if you've been doing like bodybuilding workouts and or you you sit a lot during the day, it, it, it could be like movement because you know, like I said, you can't touch your toes or you just can't you can't move the way you're supposed to. So uh, this will give you an idea of where you should should focus. So that's my goal for you. I, I hate to push a goal on you, but. If uh, you want to really make the most of this year, use this month, use January, to really find out your weakness and see where you can make the biggest impact in your training. Okay, it's time for our research review. And while this will be a research review, it's also going to be a little bit more of a kind of inside the Mike's mind segment where I kind of got to get a lot of stuff out of there And hopefully it all makes sense to you, but I want to talk about tapering. And it was pretty funny, not too long ago, I was doing a coaching call with a client and uh, she brought up a term that I've never actually heard before, but it's the taper tantrum. And I just thought that was a perfect way to describe this because so many clients that I work with and people that I see uh, posting things online have a really hard time dealing with the taper. And it's this incredible psychological Wall that people run into where they feel like if they cut back, they're losing all of this stuff that they've worked for. And while if you look at the research on detraining, meaning how long will it take for you to lose the effects of your workout routine, it can happen incredibly fast, just a few days. But when they usually look at these studies, they're looking at like bed rest patients, like somebody who's in a bed or even think of like an astronaut when they go into space and they have no gravity, um, nothing to stress their body. We see incredible losses of muscle mass and performance and things like that. Uh, But that's a very unique situation because you're not just laying in bed, you're doing things. And we have to remember that just walking around, going upstairs, playing with the kids, whatever it might be, all of those are stressing our bodies in some way. And while not won't be enough to um, increase performance even more, it's at least stressing the body enough to just keep it doing what it needs to be able to do. Now, it's really interesting though, just the psychological response that we feel that we're getting worse. And I know a lot of people can probably relate to this, where you just take a day off and you feel like you're a million miles back. And really just remember, this is all in your head and remember the purpose of exercise. And I know I've talked about this before, but I just want to reiterate the importance of it, that exercise makes you worse, right? When you leave the gym, whether it's lifting weights or going on a run or something like that, you will be in worse condition than when you started. That's because you've used up your energy stores. You've broken down muscle tissue. You've done all these things. Try going to run a race. Right after doing like super heavy squats and deadlifts and lunges and things like that, while you may be able to do it, it's not going to be your best race. And, and people just have a hard time understanding that the workout sets you back a little bit so you adapt and get better. And the hard part to understand is this adaptation. And this adaptation takes time so a lot of people what they do and this goes if you're never taking a step back if you're always training as hard as you can you're going to run into the same issues you're you're going to hit a wall and just kind of stay at the same spot and not really get better right we want a couple weeks where we push hard and then a, a week or so that we back off and then we push hard and and so forth and we have these peaks and valleys in our training and in our performance this is because when we push hard we have to give the body some time time to recover If you're always pushing, you know, you might get a good night's sleep and you recover a little bit, but you're really not totally restored and you're kind of back to where you started. And then you stress the body again. And then you may take a day off and you recover a little bit and then you stress it again. So you're always kind of just getting back to the starting line and never really making that first or that next step. And that's the whole idea behind like things like tapering. You're going to push yourself, but then The week or or several weeks, depending on the type of race that you might be doing leading up to the event, you are going to start to train and start or train differently and taper because you want to maintain your uh, ability that you currently have, but you want to see an improvement. You want the body to recover enough so there's actually a, a peak. And this is the goal for any of your races that you're really trying to perform well with. You want to make sure that you allow this. Now, there's some races that uh, you might be doing just for fun. They might just be almost part of your training routine. And then all of this is going to change. So just remember, I'm talking about the races that you're really looking to see the most improvement. This is going to be the most uh, important time to do something like a taper. And I want to share a study. Uh, it's This was from quite a while ago, but uh, it was a study done at East Carolina University. And it was a small study. They took eight elite runners. And uh, what they did was they dramatically cut back on their training volume. Um, so they went to about 15% of what they were previously doing. So on average for them, what it looked like, they were running about 43 miles a week um, during their normal training. For their tapering, they cut it back to 6.5 miles. Now the big thing that we want to see is, well, what were they doing? When they cut back, they actually maintained intensity. So they were running intervals, they were doing uh, about 400 meter intervals, and they were hitting their typical race pace. So these were fairly high intensities, they just weren't running nearly as much. Um, now, what did they find after they did this? So they actually took them all, it was a great study because they took them to a 5k, and they wanted to see, well, okay, let's, let's make this like a real life situation, and, and how did they perform? Uh, well, all eight runners PR'd. Which is pretty incredible so every single one of them did the best race that they've ever done and on average they improved by 29 seconds which is pretty substantial and they actually saw a six percent increase in running economy so they cut back 85 percent of what they were doing and all got better now think about your own program would you even be able to do this? I know a lot of people would say there's just no way I couldn't cut back that much. But even though, and this is not the only study that looked at something like this. So um, it's pretty clear that tapering right will lead to dramatic improvements in performance. And it's going to do it in a number of different ways. And that's kind of the main thing I want to make sure you leave here or, or um, get out of this section is just understanding all the changes in your body that happen when you taper properly i mentioned running economy improving that's basically you're more efficient at what you're doing because your body's recovered it's fresh it's ready to go the muscles are healed um, the, the ligaments, the tendons, the connective tissue, they're bouncy. They're, if you ever watch an elite runner, they just look like they're kind of bouncing along. If, if your muscles are, have those little micro tears from constantly training and working out, they're not going to be as elastic as that. So, um, that increase in running economy goes a long way because one, it's going to make you feel like you're going, uh, or it's going to feel easier at the same intensity. So you don't even feel like you're pushing as hard, even though you're running even faster. And you're going to be using less energy because you're more economical. So you're not going to be burning through your fuel as fast, which means you're going to last for longer. And and a lot of research on tapering has shown the increase in time to exhaustion, where they basically just have people go as hard as they can for as long as they can and time how long it takes for them to just quit. Um, They do that before and after the taper. And and it's um, incredible the improvements that they'll see there. Uh, Some other things that happen you are still training it's not like we, when we taper we do nothing we're dramatically cutting back volume but it seems at the bet that this is not the only way to taper but a pretty good way to do it is you still maintain intensity so you're doing intervals you're you're um hitting race-like situations you're just not doing very much of it that way that neuromuscular system the brain the muscles are still going through the motions you are still going to hit those speeds that you need to hit so when you do hit the race it's going to feel comfortable and and you're um you haven't backed off too much on that so that's that is an important thing because if you decrease volume and decrease intensity that's when you might feel a little bit sluggish or out of practice or something like that so we have to make sure that we are doing this properly uh, another thing they see is an increase in blood volume. Again, it's just that adaptation that you you stressed your body, so your body wants to be ready for the next time you stress it. So it it adaptate, ad, ad, adapts by things like growing muscle, um, increasing blood volume, so it can get oxygen to the muscles and get waste products out, uh, things like that, so you um, can work at higher intensities for longer. And another big thing is because you are cutting back so much you are going to see an increase in glycogen storage and this is a huge thing and a lot of people talk about carb loading and things like that with their diet if you're tapering right you really don't have to do anything substantially different from a dietary perspective now obviously there are things that you can do uh, if you're a little bit more advanced to get even added benefit but depending on how you're currently eating if you're following a pretty good diet and you just cut back significantly on volume, you don't need to really increase your carbs a whole lot because you're not training um, to the same level and using up all those stores. So you're going to see much faster recovery, much faster replenishment of your glycogen. So when race day comes, you're gonna have more storage, um, more ability to produce energy with that sugar uh, as needed. So I hope this is enough information for you to feel comfortable with your taper. Now, everybody is different. Some people will respond differently. But one of the big things is you you just need to experiment and try different things and not just keep doing, like I mentioned earlier in this podcast, not keep doing the same things over and over and and expecting a different result. So my uh, uh, challenge to you is for your next race, let's start playing around with tapering, right? Look at your volume. Look at your intensity. How can you manipulate it and go into that week or two weeks before a race and really do the right things so you your body adapts and you are able to peak for the best performance yet. All right, guys, it's time for this episode's interview. And as always, I have an awesome guest that I know you guys are gonna love. Um, this guest of mine has had quite a bit of success in the OCR uh sport i can read some of his stats um going back to last january uh socal spartan super first place men's elite socal spartan sprint first place men's elite arizona spartan sprint first place men's elite arizona spartan (laughs) super First place mental elite, I can keep going in fact, uh, I see lots of first places on here. Um, it wasn 't until April that you unfortunately took second place, but lots of more first places. Of course, you probably know who i 'm talking about. I have on v j jones v j how you doing today.
1: I'm doing awesome. Whenever anybody wants to read off all my first places, I'll I'll, uh, I'll let them, and it makes <laughs> you, me feel good.
0: I know. Well, there's not much else. I mean, um, I, I'm not going to nitpick, but I, I see a, a sixth place. But um, it, this is incredibly impressive what you what you have done, and um, I am really excited to have you on here uh, with with this sport there's so much for all of us to learn and clearly you have figured out a few things and are doing some stuff right and I'd love to pick your brain and, and hopefully help our listeners just learn some some things from from one of the best on how they can get better. So I'm really excited about this.
1: I'm excited too. I'll, I'll help where I can and I'll give you a little glimpse into uh, what I do.
0: Awesome. So let's well let's you know back up a little and start um, you are uh, I'm, I'm gonna say you're young. Uh you I believe you were the youngest ever to win a Spartan race. That's correct, right?
1: Yes, I still hold that. Um Awesome. There's I know there's some kids that are gonna be coming for that. The kids <laughs> that are getting in the kids' race these days are amazing. They are. Um but yeah, I won my first race when I was sixteen. That was back in twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Um yeah, it's my second Spartan race. Um but I'd done a bunch of obstacle racing before that. Like I started racing in high school and I found all these, um, these local little mud runs that were happening. Like the first race I did was called the love mud run. It was like this Valentine's day, like little event in Temecula with some little walls and slides and stuff. Um, but I ran that and I, I lost my shoe in the first mud pit and, <laughs> It was terrible. I ran the whole thing with one shoe, and I ended up getting second. So then I was hungry for some redemption, right? <laughs> so then I signed up for Rugged Maniac. That was a little more professional. It seemed pretty cool. I thought, you know what? I, I could see myself getting into this. I ended up winning that race, and it uh, kind of continued on. I became a little notorious in Southern California at some of the smaller obstacle races, you know, like Gladiator, uh, Warrior Dash, you know, Thief, uh, Rugged Maniac, that kind of thing. Mm And, um, yeah, just kind of carried on from there and I was doing pretty well in like the smaller stuff. But then I saw, you know, the big competition was at Spartan. That was, that was the big dog in the U S of obstacle racing. So I definitely wanted to to give that a try. So I signed up for my first Spartan race, which was Malibu 2014. Um, it was ridiculously cold. Um, Everything was so much harder than everything I've done. So if you can imagine a kid, you know, 15 years old, uh, actually 16 at that time, same height as I am now, but maybe 30 pounds lighter. (laughs) And I'm already pretty skinny, so 30 pounds is a lot. So I came into that race not prepared, but I didn't fail any obstacles. Um, I was running at the front of the race for a long time. It it really lit a fire under me, but then I hit the Hercoist. And I probably dropped back to like seventh place. I dropped from second to seventh in one obstacle because it took me so long to do it. So yeah, after that, that truly like made me realize the strength side of everything and start taking that more seriously and still in high school at that point. So I started, you know, hitting the weight room with some of the football players uh, aside from cross country. And then, started getting the cross-country team to go into the weight room too so then uh everything kind of set me up for that next that next Spartan race that I had my eye on and I ended up winning the, the next SoCal race that next year and um yeah that was the start of what we have today
0: yeah and the rest is history as they say uh exactly so I'm curious when when you first started were you running cross-country already um or anything like that or are you just like i'm gonna go try some obstacle course races
1: i was um i was running cross-country okay uh, cross-country track and field in high school but i was definitely against outside stuff like i was very like i'm only gonna do my racing in high school because it took it mm-hmm. kind of seriously i just I, I started running my freshman year and my coach really frowned upon going outside and doing outside events, especially something as foolish as an obstacle race or a mud run. Right. Yeah. I could hurt myself. So my dad wanted me to do one for like a year and a half. And I kept saying, no, like, I'm not going to do that. And then finally I was like, you know what? I, it looks so much fun. He's having so much fun. I got to do it too. So I, uh, I did come from a running background, like a lot of the, the top guys in the sport do. Um, but yeah. So, running was where
0: it was for me. Gotcha. And then, so it, it, it sounds like you, you, you know, like you said, you understood the importance of strength. Um, obviously having, having that running background is going to be a huge advantage there, but like you said, a lot of these obstacles, um, if you don't have that strength, that it's going to really set you back. So, um, did you kind of make that a priority that after that race that you just, you had to put on some muscle, you had to get some strength if you really wanted to be, uh, as successful as you are now?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, the rest of the race I was doing, like, Rugged Maniac and stuff, they don't really require that much strength. If you got the strength to, you know, make it across the monkey bars, you're going to be just fine. Like, Mm -hmm. nothing was really that challenging. I mean, I I was so weak to the point where we had to carry, like, a cinder block at one point. It was, like, a little 20-pound cinder block for, like, Mm -hmm. a little loop, and it crushed me. I was so tired after that. So, yeah, I definitely put a lot more priority on building strength. Um, but I I didn't, I didn't see it as building muscle, like getting like, you know, big and bulky. I just thought of it as getting stronger. So that was my outlook on everything, getting strong enough to do what I needed to do, but then um, not getting caught up and putting on too much muscle or anything. And that's, that's been a real like good outlook for me because then that helps you build like a strength to weight ratio that, is really key in obstacle racing. When you start putting on too much, it it starts slowing you down. So, um, so yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I love that you bring that up because I know when you talk to um, a lot of just uh, traditional runners, marathon, half marathon, even triathletes, they almost frown upon strength training because of exactly what you said. Like, I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to um beef up and build these big muscles because they kind of look at bodybuilders and say like well that's what happens when you lift weights but you know sure if you train like a bodybuilder and eat a ton of protein and food and all that you will get these really big muscles but that that's one path you can go but like you said it's it's strength training it's you know not that you know building a little bit of muscle is bad like that's always good too but it's really they're different things right you can you have those guys that are just pound for pound like super strong they're not the biggest guy but they know how to use every inch of muscle that they have
1: for sure yeah i um i found that on some of the strength obstacles like say like the tire flip for example i'd say i'm one of the best tire flippers in the game but i I'm not nearly as bulky as so many of the people I see struggle on with it, you know? So, yeah. um, it comes down to how you, how you train, you know, the kind of strength that you're building. Is it functional strength or is it just, you know, bicep curls and, um, I'd say technique too, like balancing, knowing how to use your body as well as, you know, building the strength that you need for the, for your demand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously technique is always, you know, critical on all these, but if you don't have that fundamental strength, you know, your technique's only going to take you so, so far. Um, right. Exactly. So I, I'd love, you You brought up, you know, kind of functional training. I'd love to just get an idea, like what, I know this is kind of a hard question to answer, but like what would typical training look like for you? Uh, if we just, if just staying with like strength training, like what, right. what would it typically involve?
1: Um, if we're just looking at strength training, I don't spend a ton of time during the week doing that. I It's more maintenance type stuff. Um, mm-hmm. In the off season, I want to build more strength. So I, I tend to work out like, you know, three, four times a week. When in the middle of season, like say we're, I'm getting ready for a race, I'm tuning up, I'm doing like two, maybe three strength training sessions a week. And they're mm-hmm. usually in an AMRAP setting. So I'll do like 20 minutes, as many rounds as possible of four or five like functional movements. Um, Like there's always going to be a grip or pull up type base thing in there. Um, I built a pegboard in my garage and then I also built a rig in my backyard. So those are always getting utilized. Mm -hmm. And then um, like a barbell movement can be in there that's, you know, Good functional strength, but then also um, like cardiovascularly challenging, like say, like power cleans, something mm-hmm. like that. So, one of the workouts I was doing a lot um, earlier in the year when I was having a lot of success was I was doing a 20 minute AMRAP for five rounds, whichever took longer. So, if I went over the 20 minutes on my five rounds, I'd just keep going. It was, I believe, 10 or 12 pull-ups into five power cleans. They were probably like 135 with the weight there. And then I would go into picking up my sandbag, sandbag over the shoulder, 75-pound sandbag. And then um, I think I was doing kettlebell swings, or I would do... A single arm overhead press with it. And that's a like a 50 pound dumbbell or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I would do um, like toes to bar. Cool. At the end, and I would just do that on a loop, and get my heart rate like skyrocketing high, but then learn how to utilize the strength that I'm trying to build nice. while you're just gas. Yeah. So almost well, kind of a CrossFit style thing, just a lighter weight, and then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you only need to be, you know, strength to a point is no longer beneficial. So it's right. You don't need to be a power lifter to be successful. You just need to be strong enough. Um, exactly. And, and I like, you know, and I like the fact that you had a purpose behind all these exercises, right? So they're all functional, but even more so you kind of, you want to cover grip, you want to cover something that's explosive, something that's going to get your heart rate up, you know, and that's, I think goes a mm-hmm. long way when, you're not just throwing like five random exercises that have, you know, you might get lucky and that they're good for you, but you have a purpose behind all of that, which is awesome.
1: Yeah. I try to, I try to get bang for my buck. Like I'm a, I'm a young athlete, so I I can't sustain as much like volume as a lot of the other, like older athletes in the sport right now. Mm -hmm. Like they can, they can put in so many hours during the week and maintain that. Like I, I start breaking down if I do that too much, just because I don't have the endurance background. So that even goes that that like bang for your buck even goes over into my running too. Like finding what is going to improve my fitness the best in the shortest amount of time. So I, I always look towards that like mentality in my training.
0: Yeah, and I mean, being young, like you, I, I'm assuming you want a nice long career and just yeah. destroying your body right from the start is not a great way to go and it, it sounds like you are off to an awesome start obviously but you're being smart about it too and it's not you're you're kind of looking at that big picture
1: i'm, I'm trying. <laughs> trying to be smart like it's tough it's easy to get carried away like um i want to train i want to put in 80 miles a week and and work myself to death and start trying to win some of these like bigger longer races but it's just it would take so much out of me and I've heard so many things about athletes burning out that mm-hmm. I just, I I'm so scared of that happening and I, I want to see how good I can become if I just keep training and I can maintain a, a, a good trajectory over the next few years. So patience is key, but like just playing everything smart is, is really important. I'm trying to, to keep my head
0: on my shoulders yeah i mean you're doing an awesome job and and it's just refreshing to hear you say things like this because a lot of times not just younger older too um people like they start to look at the goal of the workout is to destroy you and it's yeah. we have to remember like there's a time and place to really like push it and and just beat yourself down but a lot of times like or most really the whole point of a workout is to get you better in some capacity and um yeah sure. And that's, that's the name of the game. And if, if you can do that, you know, you're going to have a nice long career and same anybody out there, you're, you're going to be healthier and, and all those things.
1: Yeah. I mean um, a lot of people think that it's the workout that is making you stronger, which it is, but it's your recovery is when you're getting better. You're not getting better during your, your training. Like when you're training, you're not getting better. It's when you recover and your muscles can rebuild. And, you know, your your cells can adapt to all the workload that's happening. That's when you're getting stronger. So when people like shortcut their recovery, they have this no off days mentality when they all they like, I got to do this workout today, even though you're already destroyed. That's when people fall apart. People just don't understand that, you know, if you need an extra day off, take it. You're going to be faster and stronger and better for it.
0: And that's awesome advice. And, and I I work with clients that uh, I hope they're listening because that's (laughs) so hard to understand that a day off or an extra day off or two days off actually will get you better versus digging that hole a little bit deeper. Um, Hmm. So actually, since we're on this topic, uh, one thing I, I, did want to talk to you about is recovery. And, um, I'd love to just get some of your things that you might do, you know, other than a rest day or maybe some things that you do on an off day to help just enhance your recovery. So you're getting better results.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's definitely things I can do better. things all of us can probably do better, but, um, yeah, I mean, as far as just recovery, taking time off, taking care of my body, like, um I wish I could do massage more often that's been like an amazing thing so I do kind of self massage and myofascial release mm-hmm. like foam rolling um I try to stay on top of some like stability and mobility exercises just so um in my training I'm not like imbalanced or overworking the wrong muscles and stuff so mm-hmm. on recovery days easy days that's when I try to you know do skill work or um you know, like mobility and stability exercises as well. And then, um, yeah, supplementation, you know, um, drinking protein shakes, you know, endurance athletes can do that too. It's not just for, you know, meatheads. So (laughs) I'm on that train. Um, And then, yeah, different supplements, like taking CBD every day. That's been amazing for me. Um, I've been on the CBD train for, you know, a couple years, um, trying different things. Um, recently I discovered Venga and I ended up partnering with them, which was amazing. Um, which their, their product was just so much above everything else, just quality wise and how well and instantly it works. Like I was using like topical balms all the time for like sore muscles, any aches or pains, anything. I don't really have injuries very often, but, for like sore muscles, recovery was awesome with all these bombs. Like every CBD works to, to an extent. But then when I started using Venga, like everything changed. It works so well. My recovery just skyrocketed how fast I could recover from a hard workout. So I'd say that's like one of the most key things for me. And I fall back on it probably every day. Um, just like the soft the soft gels or the um, the gel capsules from CBD from Venga. And then um, the recovery balm as
0: well. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, you know, uh, the listeners know Venga uh, CBD is a sponsor of the show and and I'm a big supporter of their products as well. And um, so many things that they're good, good with, uh, and and really controlling inflammation and helping with recovery. So uh, that's, that's cool to see that that is helping you um, stay fresh and and on top of everything.
1: Yeah, it's been awesome. Like I thought that I they I remember when they first gave me this little jar of it and I was like dude I'm going to burn through this right away but <laughs> I didn't I've had it for I've had this one jar for almost 3 months now and I'm only like halfway through it and I use it like 2 3 times a day so that's been like amazing how you don't need that much but the effect it has is just huge absolutely so I've been stoked on it it's cool. been working amazing
0: nice so uh Kind of to build off of this, you, you kind of talked about, um, you know, with strength training and, um, and even running how you're, you're cycling your, your workouts. Like, um, you know, yeah, you, you have an in season, you have an off season, you're, period, right. periodizing your, your plan. Um, I, I think that's a concept that a lot of people struggle with. It's, they want to go hard all the time. They want to do the best they can all the time. And, um, I just love to get your take on, you know, why, why you do it this way. And obviously you're still doing well year round. It's, and I think that's the mistake people think is that you're, cause it's not like a typical sport where there's a season, you know, like it's baseball season or yeah. it's basketball season and the championship is here. Um, there's races all year, but, um, how do you organize your, your season and, and program that way?
1: Um, well, I've started, um, giving races different values. Like, so, uh, throwback to Vengo right now, they make this full year calendar that you can get that every month and every day is laid out on one big sheet. And I use that like right now for scheduling for 2020 and I've written down all the races that I'm interested in, um, and where like the m- big races are and the ones that mean the most. So I give them like an A, B, or C scale, like A races are like the big ones, the ones that I need to be really fit for, the ones that I'm gonna train the hardest for. B races are kind of in the middle, things I wanna do well at, but not as important. And C races are races that I don't necessarily have to train for. I'm just gonna kind of show up and I might only be running like 15, 20 miles a week at that point, but I'm okay to race that. And uh, whatever happens, happens. So based on the structure of the year where the a races lie that's how i'm going to structure my training around those things because you know i can't maintain the same volume and intensity the whole year or it's just going to break down and your body's just not going to handle it so for example this year like 2019 my first big race of the year was the alabama national series race which was in march so Earlier in the year, I pretty much started training like halfway through December, like right about this time, Mm -hmm. Um, just started doing a lot of aerobic, lower heart rate running with like one day of intensity a week, like a track workout or something that wasn't too much, like some 400, some repeats. And then my two days a week of strength training, like dedicated strength training. Um, And that was it. I was just like being patient putting in the time of uh, building that more aerobic side of my fitness. And there were some like B level races earlier in the year, some some local Spartans that I showed up to like the SoCal races that you mentioned earlier, the Arizona race, the Las Vegas race. So those were just kind of races to test how my fitness was building um, going into that US national series race, which is the main goal. So my mileage built as I got closer to that race, the intensity came up. So it wasn't just one day of intensity. There'd be two days of, you know, intervals or threshold workouts where I'm really using my speed. And um, yeah, so as I get over, over to that Alabama race, my mileage was high, my intensity was high and I was really prepping and going all into that race. Tapered off, did the race, won it, was great. And then for those next two months, I would maintain that level of work because you can maintain, like, a really high level of fitness for a while before you have to come back down again. So I I maintained it through, you know, the Seattle race, which was later on, and then started coming back down um, kind of in the middle of the year around that, like, May, June time. Mm -hmm. Because those races... Like, mountainous races, I'm still, like, getting better. Um, I'm still getting better at running, you know, uphill <laughs> and climbing these mountains. Like, like rolling hills I'm getting good at, but um, just having that endurance to just climb and climb and climb and still finding it. So, those races I didn't put as much value on, mm-hmm. and I, I trained down a little bit. But my real big A race for this year was the North American OCR Championship. Mm-hmm. So looking in that in August, I wanted to come down, give my body like a mild rest. It wasn't like an off season by any means. I was still running hard, but it just wasn't quite as much intensity, not quite as much mileage, just something that my body could maintain easier and then start ramping things back up going towards the uh, the North American championships. And um, I ended up doing pretty well there, too. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's there. there's. I mean, I could go really deeply into, you know, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, capacity training and utilization training and how those two coincide and how to structure all of that. If you want to, we can, but um, I mean, there's tons of information on aerobic versus anaerobic training and and how much to do and when to do it.
0: Yeah, no, I I think, you know, what you said is great. And and we've talked about uh, some of those things uh, on the podcast before. So it's always great to hear people being as successful as you are restate. The benefits of when aerobic training is important, when anaerobic training and capacity training is important and how, how you utilize that to have the success that you're having.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, if you talk to any of the top athletes in the sport, everything, um, they understand what their work is doing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's really key. Like if, if anyone that's listening, you know, wants to take what they're doing seriously and wants to actually improve, like educate yourself, you know, read read stuff online, buy, you know, a book, Jack Daniels running or training for the uphill athlete, all those, all those books will break down what different training does for your body. And the more that you understand it, the better that you can implement it for yourself. Most people run, but they don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. It's just like teaching when I was learning how to drive stick, I was just doing what my dad was telling me to do, but I didn't understand why I was pushing the clutch. I just knew that that's what was supposed to happen. So it took me forever to learn. But when I started educating myself on it, understanding why I had to do it, I drove, I I understood it and I learned it almost immediately. And I was able to drive just fine. So I'd say the same thing applies here when you're building a training program. If you don't know why you're doing a long run or why you're going to do intervals, your training is just not going to be right. Recovery is not going to be right, you're not going to get very good results. So, just educate yourself, understand what you're doing, and everything will come together.
0: Yeah, I mean, 100%. And I was in the same boat when I first started running. It was, well, you go out and you run as far as you can, as hard as you can, every single run, and you get better. And well, you will to a point, um, more you just get better at dealing with the discomfort than necessarily. Getting better uh, once you yeah. understand like the purpose behind all these runs, like that's when you see such uh real progress. And and I and I'm sure you'll agree that like things get easier. Like it's just mm-hmm. like I, actually I'm I'm curious if you know off the top of your head, I would love to know like what pace would you be at for an aerobic run for you?
1: Um. Well, right now things have slowed down. I'm just I'm three days back into running after taking a few weeks off, mm-hmm. uh, almost six weeks of not consistent training. So. Right now, my aerobic pace is somewhere between a 7.30 and an 8.30. Okay. That's, that, that's pretty consistent. Like okay. de- during the season, if I'm like in really good shape, it can even drop down into like from like anywhere from six flat to a 7.30. Crazy. And I'll, right. I'll kind of float in there. But, but yeah, I mean, aerobic kind of stays the same. It'll slow, it takes years to progress that. So Absolutely. I'm starting to see some pace changes within the last year when all the way from my freshman year, starting running mm-hmm. up until like 2018, I was running the same pace, uh, aerobically the mm-hmm. whole time. So yeah, it's like, it, it's a slow build. You'll, you'll see more results in your top end, you know?
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I, but I think to speak to that, um, Uh, you know you mentioned patience earlier and that is the key like some of these like if you want to build a big aerobic engine so you can you know cover these distances faster but not use as much energy like it does take time and like you said like years and sometimes you are planning for the next year or the year after that and um sometimes you have to keep that in mind like you'll see the real payoff down the road be patient though
1: yeah yeah for sure I mean there's there's short-term progress and there's long-term progress. Like if you, for example, like you can train up for a race that's six months away. And then let, let me, let me rephrase that. So when you're training, there's like long-term recovery, there's short-term recovery and there's like the really long term. So (laughs) for example, when you're training like up for a race, it could be a six month thing. Like you're going to train up, you're going to get there. You're going to train really hard going into it. Your mileage is going to build, your intensity is going to build, you're going to do the race and you're going to recover after that. But then there's also like the longer term over a couple years where you're going to keep getting better and better and better. And then you'll have, you'll have to like take a little off season after that too. And then there's Mm -hmm. like, you're going to keep building fitness as long as you're taking a recovery like in between things. You're going to build fitness for like a decade. For me, I'm a young guy. So my aerobic like peak in life, as long as I don't injure myself or anything, is going to be in like my early 30s. -hmm. So in theory, I should be able to get better and better and better for like the next 12 years. So I think people, Want these short-term, make it fast, get Absolutely. it done type of things. When as long as you just trust the process, you will get better and better and better. But yeah, we've we've gone through the same thing with uh, like my girlfriend's mom. We got her into running, mm-hmm. and she was she was struggling at first just because she wasn't getting a lot faster right away, which was like difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, you're kind of stuck at the same pace. But all of a sudden, the the runs were more sustainable. She could run them longer at the same pace. She wasn't getting a lot faster, but it was a lot easier to do. It wasn't as much of a struggle. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, patience is, is difficult for a lot of people, but yeah, definitely rewarding.
0: Oh, awesome. Well, it's, it's good to hear you talk about these things and, um, reconfirm a lot of things we talked about in the show. And, and, uh, I think a lot of people just need to hear these things over and over until they, they submit and, and go with it. But, um, I've, I've taken a lot of your time. I, uh, I appreciate all the tips. I mean, there was some great stuff in here that I know our listeners are going to get a ton out of. Um, if anybody wants to follow you, reach out, is, is there any way or best places they should go check you out?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, Instagram is the way, the truth and the life today. (laughs) So yeah, I'm VJ Jones on Instagram. You'll find me, um, pretty easy. I'm on Facebook too, but I'm never on there. That's kind of like, I can stay in touch with my family, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Instagram, I'm on there. Check it out. Anybody ever has questions, I, I love responding to people and talk, interacting with folks. So awesome. feel free.
0: Well, I, I usually appreciate that. When I have
1: more, usually when I have more time to think about what I'm going to say, <laughs> I sound smarter. So if you message me, I'll probably have a great response.
0: <laughs> no, you sounded awesome. And I will definitely put links in our show notes to this episode uh, for Instagram and, and really anything that we talked about. So people can, uh, hopefully do their own research and, and just get smarter about uh, how they train. So Vijay, thanks so much for coming on today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. This is awesome.
0: All right, well that's going to do it. Episode sixty-seven of the OCR Underground Show. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and trusting me to provide you with some good quality information to help you train a little bit smarter for your next OCR. And thank you to our guest BJ Jones. There's so much valuable information that he provided, and I'm very grateful that he was able to come on and and help us all out in training a little bit better. And also thanks to our sponsors Venga CBD and Handmaster Plus for making this show possible uh, don't forget subscribe to the show so you don't miss a any of the uh, updates and when we put the new episodes out as well as uh, if you do find this valuable I'd love it if you'd give a rating on iTunes or however you might be listening to the show uh, I hope you're ready to make 2020 an amazing year if you need help at all in the process and want a little guidance in your training I would love to help you out definitely check out all the different programs that I offer at ocrunderground.com slash programs well that's it But for now, keep training smarter and I'll see you guys soon.